0: you're visiting with us, I'll explain to you that our theme for this year at Northside is walking worthy of our calling. Our key verse that we're building all of our sermon series and lessons around is Ephesians 4.1, where Paul urged Christians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Spent the first three chapters of Ephesians explaining what God has done for us, uh, what He has called us to, and then in the, the 4.1 He began and says, now you, you ought to walk that way. Walk worthy of what you've been called to. So we've had a number of uh, series already. Uh, today is kind of a standalone sermon. It's not part of a series. And the reason I'm squeezing this in here uh, is because this summer we're going to enter some difficult studies. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, thing, matters of morality, which uh, affect how we walk, whether we walk worthy of our calling or not. And we're going to talk about holiness and some things that we sometimes kind of uh, brush over and don't pay much attention to, and you can't tell much difference between us and the world sometimes. Uh, we're going to talk about some of those this summer, and I thought before we entered some of that touchy uh, area, uh, maybe we ought to talk about unity and how we function as a church. So we're going to put this uh, lesson in our series, and it's certainly part of walking worthy of our calling. Uh, Ephesians four one is a challenging verse. Here's another one that's just as challenging, or more challenging. First Corinthians one ten, which we've already mentioned, but. Paul said to the people in Corinth, who, by the way, had some problems. They had a lot of problems. (laughs) The whole book is about problems. But what he started with, out of all the problems they had, was the problem that they didn't get along with each other. They had some quarrels. They were divided into groups. They didn't all agree on things. So that's where Paul started with the list of problems. And he said in verse 10 of chapter 1, I appeal to you brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think he intended to get their attention. Uh, I think he wanted them to see that this is important. Then he said, I, I appeal that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, if you read that real fast... That sounds kind of feasible. If you think about it very long, though, that verse is a tough one now. Uh, Why does that verse seem impossible to us? To be of the same mind. I mean, if you really think about it, you just can't hardly fathom how a group of people Whether it be three people or 300 or 800, or how can they be of one mind and one judgment? Uh, Here are some of the things that contribute to the impossibility of that verse, I think. We're humans to start with. Uh, Humans just don't get along very well sometimes. We've all got different ideas about things. Humans just don't... Play well with others a lot of times. And on top of being humans, uh, we in the church are dealing with divine matters. That makes it, that raises the level of it a little bit. If we're arguing about something about how to fertilize your grass or something, that's not that big a deal. We can disagree. But we're talking about divine matters. We get serious about that. And you add on to top of that that we are members of a fellowship of the Churches of Christ who are kind of extra serious about the importance of doctrine. Uh, We claim to follow the Bible and the Bible only, and that means what it says is really important. And we get pretty wound up about some things. We're humans with all of those added things. And in fact, if I'm, while I'm on that, if you're visiting today from a denomination, from some other church, some of the things I talk about, you'll kind of say, they really worry about that? Yeah, we're pretty serious about doing what the Bible says. And that just makes it harder to get along. Uh, on top of that, we've got all different levels of Bible knowledge. We've got some people that know very little about anything in the Bible. Uh, They're new Christians. They they just hadn't studied it much yet. They're babes. And so they don't understand why this is important or that might not be important or what. Hadn't learned much yet. We've got some who know a whole lot about the Bible. Uh, We've got some who think they know a whole lot about the Bible. Uh, They can pontificate on something for a long time, and if you ask them, where's the verse for that? They can't find it, but they think they know a lot about the Bible. And we've got some folks who know a whole lot about very little. We we call that a hobby. They've got something that they've studied to death. They know all about it. They can argue it anyway, upside down, backwards, forwards, whatever. They know all about it. And so if somebody varies from that a little bit, they want to jump on that. We've got all these different levels. We've got traditions. And traditions aren't bad. Traditions are good things. But traditions make it hard to be of all one mind because if you have been raised that way, if you are used to something, Man, it is hard to change. It's hard to even think about somebody doing it different. Traditions will do that to you. And if we've got a tradition that we're solid in, and maybe all our life we've done it that way, and somebody does it some other way, it shocks us. It we're just it makes us uncomfortable. We don't may not know if there's anything wrong with it. It's just uncomfortable. Yeah. How, Clasp your hands like that. Just put your hands together for me. Okay. Everybody did it your way. How many of you have your left thumb on top? How many of you have your right thumb on top? Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, now do me a favor. Now do it the other way. Change it. How's that feel? Isn't that weird? That is a weird way to clasp your hands. Okay, uh, fold your arms for me. That looks like a tough audience there. <laughs> okay, you fold your arms. Now fold them the other way. Ah, you can't even figure out how to do it. Okay, you have clasped, I, I've clasped my hands, I've folded my arms the same way for 66 years. And so something different. Man, it's weird. I can't even think of how to do some of it. Okay, that's the way tradition works. We've got a church culture. Every congregation is different. If you've come from somewhere else, you know that North Side is a little bit different. If you've been at Northside all your life, you think this is the perfect way to do things. Uh, we've got a culture, and we ought to have a culture. And we ought to defend that culture within certain limits because that's 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 good for folks to have a standard culture. We've got a world culture that's pushing on us. The, the world culture, the, what happens around us, changes the way we think about things. It doesn't change the Bible, but it changes the way we think about things. Okay? Uh, Let me just mention one since I've kind of lived through it. It's been in my lifespan uh, the consideration of women and their role and all of that in business and everywhere. Uh, Equality is much more important today than it was when I was little. I've been through that. 1976, when I worked for General Electric Company, I hired a woman as a foreman. Well, we had a problem right there. There was no other word for it because only men were supervisors. We had to change the name to supervisor. But I hired the first woman in GE to be a supervisor, and they about lynched both of us. That was just unheard of. That was about the beginning of it, about when it started. Now, the world has changed a lot about that. And women were discriminated against. I'm not arguing that. needed to happen in a lot of ways. But I'm saying what is happening in the church today, we see the same thing that has happened in the world. We want women to be in any role. We want them to teach and preach and elder and do do anything they are capable of doing. Okay? Uh, that's happening, folks. That's real world. Okay. Let me ask you something. Where did that move in the church come from? Did somebody sit down one day and look at the scriptures and say, you know, we've had that verse wrong all these years? No, that didn't come first, folks. The world pressure came in and made people want to change things. And then as a response, since we're people of the Word, we had to rationalize around a scripture or two. Now, I'm not judging one way or another here. I'm just saying this is hard. It's what makes it hard to be of one mind. We've all got personal beliefs. Some people have their own agenda. I want this. I want this to be this way. I want this to be different. Then we all have our peers that reinforce everything we think. You discuss any kind of disagreement topic, and one thing people will say is, well, everybody I know thinks it ought to be this way. Let me get this right. All of your friends agree with you. Now, there's a shocker. That's why they're your friends. That's your peers. Well, I guarantee you there's somebody else over here that has a different peer group. Yeah. Now, I spent a little while on this, but I just wanted to emphasize that how hard this verse is. All of us come with all of these, this baggage. And we come and we read 110 and it says, Be of the same mind and the same judgment. That's tough. That's really hard. And then, if you add something new, it just... Doubles, triples, quadruples. Think of it. We've got a group. Let's say it's 10 people or let's say 700. And we've managed to deal with all of these differences and be of the same mind and be unified and all that. Throw something new in it. Throw a new program in Throw a new member that comes from somewhere else that has different ideas. Throw, throw the, a new culture shift in that's going to happen next, whatever it may be. Makes it harder. It's hard. It's impossible if you really think about it. But it must be possible because God told us to do it. Paul was speaking by the Holy Spirit. He evidently thought we could be of the same mind and the same judgment. So we're not going to solve it all today, but let me just give you a few tips about how to do this, how we can be of the same mind. First, I think we need to realize that not all matters are equally serious. I think this causes some big problems. Uh, Cindy and I had some friends many years ago in another state, and they eventually got divorced. And if anybody asked me why they got divorced, I was, my answer was uh, over the toothpaste tube. Now, they fought about the toothpaste tube. You know, one of them rolled it carefully up from the bottom, and the other one just grabbed it and squished it. Okay? They drove each other crazy. Some of you are thinking, why didn't they each get a tube? But they didn't think that way. Yeah, so, they argued about that. Now, I knew that's not the reason they got the divorce, but the the thing is, they argued over everything to the same degree. yeah, I mean, they would get into an argument while we were playing cards or something, and the toothpaste tube would come up, yeah, like it was the most serious matter in the world. It was just representative of all the other problems, but they didn't know how to distinguish evidently. And we do that. And especially when we're dealing with divine matters and when we're dealing from a position of the doctrine is very serious, we tend to do that. We get to thinking that everything is equally serious and we're going to fight to the death on this one. We've got to have it right. That's where a big part of division and disunity comes from. Let's put three kinds of uh, thinking about this to help us understand it. A, some things are foolish, and we ought to ignore them. Okay? Some things that people argue about in the church are just foolish, and we ought to just ignore them. Okay? 2 Timothy 2.23, Paul told Timothy, a young preacher, he said, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they... Uh, produce quarrels. And then he wrote to another young preacher, Titus, and he said, Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because they're unprofitable. They're useless. Yeah? So there's some things that people want to argue about, fight to the death on, that we shouldn't give the time a day to. Now you're saying be rude? Only if necessary. Some people need some rudeness. But in general you can handle that very kindly. I've had people come up to me and they're kind of the people that know a whole lot about very little, but they've got something figured out. And they want to explain it all to me and show me and this is what they believe and this is how it ought to be and all that. When they get done, I say, Okay. And kind of flusters them because they want to fight. And I just say, okay, if you believe that, okay, that's not going to be on the entrance exam. You can be wrong on that if you want. But I'm not going to spend any time talking about it. Okay? Foolish things, brethren, we just got to ignore them. Okay? B, there are some things that are truth, the Bible says. And we got to stand firm for those. That's different than foolish controversies. There are some things that are true. The Bible's very clear about that. Jude 1.3 says, Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend for the faith. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says, Brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings that we passed on to you. Titus 1, nine is about an elder, and it says an elder has got to hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, you put all those together, there is something called the faith, the message, uh, the trustworthy message, the teachings that we're supposed to defend. We're supposed to contend for it. We're supposed to hold firmly to it. If somebody opposes it, we're supposed to refute them. If we're teaching people, those new Christians that don't know much, we teach them this sound doctrine. Now, not everything's in there, because Paul already told us some things are foolish. The truth, the message, the the trustworthy message, the gospel, we've got to stand firm for it. And I'll give you one clue. There's not a whole lot in there, not near as many things as we want to put in there. Okay? Before, when we've interviewed for a new minister around here, we've received resumes, and some of them put in there a list of one guy put in, I think, over 80 things that we had to be right on before he had come work here. That resume didn't take long to look at. Okay. That was gone quick, because there aren't 80 things in the trustworthy message. Philip didn't have time, that much time with the eunuch. He had some pretty basic things that are the message. Okay? So when it's truth, when it's part of the message that God is God and Jesus is his only son and Jesus died for us and that's the only way to heaven, when we get those things, we've got to stand firm for them. See, there are some disputable things, and we as Christians need to seek unity about those. Turn to Romans 14 if you've got your Bibles. And we will point out a few verses here. I've got them on your handout for you. Okay. Now, Romans chapter 14 is about disagreements in the church. Some people think this is right. Some people think this is right. Some people won't do that. Some people will do that. And it's about eating meat, and we don't have time to go into all the details from that culture. But it's the principles what we're talking about. And Paul says it's a matter of a level of faith. Some people are kind of weak in their faith. Some people are stronger in their faith, and so they get different ideas about the things. That causes disagreements. Romans 14.1, 1. Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. Okay? Now, disputable matters. Does that mean if somebody's got something wrong about the truth? That we say, ah, that's okay. He doesn't think God's the only God, but well, that's all right. We'll put up with it. No, that's the kind of stuff we stand firm on. Found an advertisement in the paper a few weeks ago from a a church here in town. Got a picture of their building and all that. And up at the top it says, from their constitution, here's their statement, we grant to each person the right to individual interpretation of the principles of the Christian religion and respect every person's honest religious convictions. Now, I can read that one way and think, well, okay, maybe they're saying they're kind of tolerant and you can have your own idea on disputable matters, but that's not what they said. They said you can have your own individual interpretation of the principles of the Christian religion. Excuse me. I don't think so. The truth, the principles, the trustworthy message is what it is. Now, maybe I'm reading their constitution wrong, but but I'm trying to make the point that, no, disputable matters are something different. And what Paul says in Romans 14, he says on disputable matters, yeah, you can have your own interpretation. Now, he implies by weak and strong that you probably ought to grow in that interpretation, but he says where we are, that's what produces disagreements. So here's his answer. In verse 5, he says, be fully convinced in your own mind. You believe A and you believe B, you believe in A and go for it. You believe in B and go for it. That's fine. You say, well, how's that? Get everybody to get along. Look at verse 22. Whatever you believe, keep it between yourself and God. Don't discuss it. Don't recruit believers for your position. Don't cause problems. You just keep your mouth shut. They're the disputable matters. Things that it doesn't matter. It's not the truth. It's not foolish, it's worth talking about. But it's not worth dividing over. And he concludes verse nineteen wraps it up. He says, Whatever do whatever leads to peace. On a disputable matter, I don't care how strongly you feel about it, you do what leads to peace. You make sure you put unity and peace first. So there are disputable matters, and we're not going to take time today to list all of those. That'd take us a long time. All right, first, not everything's equally serious. Second, the way to, a tip to produce unity is we ought to obey the servant shepherds that God has ordained. Okay? This is God's plan. This is how He set the church up, folks. He says in Hebrews thirteen seventeen um, make sure I read it all right to you, Hebrews thirteen seventeen obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. That's a powerful verse. And a few years ago, 20 years or so ago, there was a big argument about what kind of authority elders do have. I think we've pretty well survived that argument and kind of understand it. But he says, obey your leaders. This is is God's plan. He knew a group of people together discussing divine matters and being serious about doctrine with all these different traditions and cultures and all that would have a really hard time. So he ordained within that group a position of elder, pastor, shepherd, bishop, and their job is to decide which way the flock ought to go. The flock selects them. They look and they say, this is a wise person. He has some experience. He holds the word firmly uh, with the proper attitude. And he would be a good leader. So lead us. Now, what do elders end up deciding? The only thing they ever end up deciding is disputable matters. If it's the truth, if it's in the book, we don't need an elder to tell us that. The book tells us that. But where we get these things, where very sincere person A disagrees with very sincere person B, because of all the things we talked about first, somebody's got to decide, well, which way is the flock going? And the shepherd says, we're going to take this turn. We're going to go this direction. We're going to do this right now. Okay? All they end up deciding, this is a secret now, not many people know this about elders, all they end up deciding is stuff that has no right answer. So when they make a decision and somebody says, well, that's the wrong decision, well, probably so. Because there isn't a right answer. There is not one right answer. But what they are chartered to do as shepherds is pick the best way for the flock. A real-life shepherd may come to a place where, man, going over this stream is going to be dangerous, but going through those woods with all the wolves is going to be more dangerous. They don't have a good choice. They don't have a right answer. So they do the best they can. So knowing the flock as we do, knowing the word as we do, knowing what we know about traditions and cultures, this is the way we're going to pick. This is the best for now. That's what elders do. And what the inspired writer told us to do is submit to their authority. That's why you picked them. Because they're wise, they're older, they know the word, they know the people, they know the flock. Does that mean all elders are perfect? No, none of them are. But this is the plan. Imagine, remember, we're dealing with an impossible verse here. So we're doing the best we can. All right, now let's top that all off with a third one. Third point. All members should have the attitude of Christ. Philippians chapter 2. verses 1 through 8. And please, please pay attention to this. Paul and uh, verse chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Can you hear Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.10? Same writer here. He told the Corinthians, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You be of the same mind. When he writes to the Philippians, who aren't in as much of a mess as the Corinthians, he says, if you've got any fellowship with the Spirit... If you've got any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded. Please do that, church. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Can you read that and still feel good about fighting to the death over some disputable matter? taking it so far that you divide the body of Christ, taking it so far that you divide between brother and brother or brother and sister. You can't read that and go there. He says, look what Christ did. And and the way to be of the same mind, be like-minded, he said up there, is you have the attitude of Christ. Let me interpret that for you in a slightly old argument. For, for a while, it was an argument in the brotherhood. I'm not saying it was around here, but some people, I mean, they actually divided over it, had a problem between what kind of songs we sang. Okay? The, the old folks, let's call them, with all their tradition and culture and all of that, liked the old hymns. That's what they were used to. When somebody sang something that didn't sound like it was written in the 1600s, it shocked them. Okay, Made them uncomfortable. Well, the young people, let's say, there was an eruption of praise songs and new kind of Christian songs and praise choruses and other things. And they liked those. So some churches had a problem with that. Some said, we want to sing this. and said, we want to sing this. Okay, Now, you can argue about that long enough to divide a church, unless you read Philippians 2. What Philippians 2 says to those people arguing about that topic in those days is, if you're an old person that likes the old hymns, and you find out that the kids like this new stuff, and that really helps them worship and that's good for them, then you say, let's sing some of that young stuff. That's what I want to sing. Do you like it? No, I don't like it, but that's what I want to sing. Because it's good for them. And the kids ought to say, you know, if those old folks like that stuff and it's good for them, let's sing some more of those old hymns. That's what Philippians 2 says. Philippians 2 says, in real summary, it's not all about you. It's about others. It's about the body of Christ. Number one problem in the world, in my opinion, is self. Yeah, That's what Jesus said. If you want to follow me, what? Deny yourself. We skip over that a whole lot. That's a bad verse. He said, repent. We're good with that. He said, be baptized. We're good with that. Deny yourself. Whoa. Let's not talk about that so much. That's where all this problem comes from. Okay, those are the three tips I've got for you. Very quickly, let's take a look at the real world here. And some of these may be a little too real for you, but... I want this understood. When we started Women Walking with God 10 years ago, we advertised that we were going to have it, and we were going to charge admission, and it was going to work this way and all that. Immediately, some uh, brother in Christ in town, not a part of Northside, but a brother in Christ, flooded the Internet with all sorts of condemnations that we were selling the gospel. We were charging admission to hear the gospel. Okay? Uh, People started calling. People started sending emails. It was all over the Internet here and there. And he was posting things and blogging and whatever he does and all of that. Okay. To maintain unity within the kingdom, even more than Northside, what do we do about this? I'm not saying it's all the way there, but that's real close to foolish and stupid is how we looked at it. We said he's, he's so far off track, plus from his track record, that's all he does. is look for things to cause division. So from Northside, as far as I know, I hope, he received no response. And he went away. Okay? Well, he didn't go away. <laughs> they never go away. They just find something else to cause trouble about. Okay, That wasn't worth spending time discussing. Okay, But then when we had the first women's conference and we handed out survey sheets to people and said, tell us what we did right, tell us what we did wrong, all of that, we got a few back. Not tons, but we got eight or ten maybe where women said, it really made me uncomfortable to have men in the room while women are teaching. And women are praying and all that. It makes me uncomfortable to have men in the room. You shouldn't have any men there. Okay. Uh, we understood where they coming from, their tradition, their culture, their congregation, all of that. We we get that. Okay. Now, is there a verse that says man can't be in the room when a ladies' class is going on? Can Can a janitor walk past? Or no, there's no verse about that. So the men at women's conference function as uh, servants. They take care of the sound booth. They take care of the trash. They take care of the sets. They they do those things. Guarantee you they're not even paying attention when the women are teaching. Uh, They're they're working. So our response to that was, once again, we understand what you're saying, but this is a disputable matter, and we're going to do it this way. This way will lead to peace. Now, do we still get a card or two? Every year, <laughs> get a card or two about that. Somebody new comes from that background, that it bothers them, okay. But it's not worth, it. it's impossible to change for that matter. And it's not worth dividing anything over. Okay. Next illustration, small groups, I said. Uh, for years, we've considered around here whether we should have small groups or not. Uh, Small groups are a trendy thing, or we're we're trendy for a while, and more and more people do it, and uh, we knew about that. We heard about troubles that some had and good things that some people did. We just never thought small groups was right for Northside. A couple of years ago, the elders said, you know, there's quite a few people interested in small groups. We better think about that. Now, this is a topic that has a whole lot more cultural, traditional experience baggage than some topics. So the elders, instead of just sitting down talking about it, they said, come talk to us. Anybody that's interested in this topic, come talk to us. They had meetings and meetings for months. Anybody that wanted to could come express their opinions, and they got all sorts of opinions. They got some people that had come from congregations that had really fouled things up by small groups. They did them wrong. They messed things up. They caused problems. Those people were scared to death of small groups. They had other people that had had great experiences with small groups. And they wanted to have them because they're good. They listened to all of that. Now, let me ask you this funny question. What's the right answer? The Bible doesn't talk about it. There is no right answer. So our servant shepherd said, we think we can have small groups and follow these rules. And for right now, with the, the, the culture that we have at Northside and all that, this will be best for the flock. And they made a list of a few things that we were, small groups would do and not do and all of that. And started it over a year ago. And it's done well. The ship has not sunk. You know, we're still cruising right along. Now, could they have done that wrong? Could they have made a, a one option? I mean, a lot of consultants we talked to said if you're going to have small groups, everybody in the church has got to be in a small group. You make them be in a small group. In the culture of Northside at the time last year and all, that would have been a really stupid decision. But our elders didn't do that. They said, "Here's the way we're going to go. It's going to be optional. We're going to try some groups first. If people are interested, it's going to grow. It has grown some. That's what we did. That's an example of a disputable matter that not everybody agrees on. That we maintained the unity by obeying our shepherds and everybody having the attitude of Christ. Okay? Uh, that's good." Now, I put this next one in here because it's just kind of interesting when I said at the first that you add anything new, and it kind of scrambles things, okay? When the elders said, let's have small groups, one function of small groups is to pray together. And as long as you all meet in one room, we've always followed the principle of male spiritual leadership, and we don't have women get up here and lead prayers, That's our culture, that's our tradition, that's what we've always done. Well, in a small group, it's a little different. And some small group gurus and uh, other places say, well, the whole small group ought to pray together. Women can pray and men can pray and all that. Our elders saw that as a point that Northside's got a culture that some people are going to be uncomfortable with that. So they put in a little list of things. Uh, if women want to pray, we need to separate. Men can go pray in one room. Women can go pray in another. Yeah. Is that the right answer? There's no right answer. It's not part of the truth. So says they're making the best call they can. And the way that works is all members have the attitude of Christ. It works great. Yeah. I threw one in. With a negative example, for this is from years past, but I remembered it. Uh, around here, we have always, the culture here is, when you have a wedding in the building, uh, we don't have instrumental music. Okay, acapella is our tradition and our belief in what the New Testament teaches, uh, so we don't, certainly don't have instrumental music in worship. But a wedding isn't a worship assembly. Some people argue that. You can have instrumental music if you want. This is just a building. Why can't you have instrumental music in it? Well, our elders, with the culture, with their tradition, with our love of a cappella, and the teaching example it can be, to visitors and all that, said, let's not have instrumental music in worship, in uh, weddings. We like it that way. Let's do it that way. That's good. Okay. Now, that's a disputable matter as far as I'm concerned. Wedding isn't a worship service. Yeah. Well, the way that worked is every member had the attitude of Christ. Well, that works fine until some members, their little princess wants to get married here. And she's got a song that she really likes with instruments in it. Now, that's happened a few times. And in that case, the the parents or the daddy go to the elders and say, Okay, why have you got this policy? Why can't we change that? Well, the elders explain this is our choice right now. And then some folks want to argue the whole principle and argue that that's the wrong call. Well, maybe it is. And some, at one point, argued and argued and argued and sought reinforcements for their argument. And finally, when they decided they weren't going to get their way, they went away in a huff Said, I'm not going to worship with you anymore. Is that the best outcome? No, the best outcome would be Philippians 2, 1 through 8. Everybody have that attitude and think, you know, it's not all about me. If Princess really, really needs that song, well, we'll go have the wedding somewhere else. And some people have done that too, by the way. They've discussed it with the elders. They went away and said, okay, if that's your call, then we really want this song, so we're going to go to another building. That's fine. The answer is Philippians 2, 1 through 8. Okay, I hope those examples help you understand what I've been trying to tell you this morning. All right, when does unity fail? When does it fail? When carnality outweighs spirituality. If we do what those tips I gave you are, if we understand Philippians 2, if we understand Hebrews 13 and we're spiritual about it, uh, we'll succeed pretty well in unity. When carnality is more powerful than spirituality, Uh, when me is more important than us, when us is more important than Christ, then we'll have trouble with unity. Saddest thing in Christianity, in my opinion, and I hadn't lived all that many years, but what I've seen, the saddest thing to me is the division in the body of Christ. The division in the Lord's church, not not just within our fellowship, but, but worldwide. Think about it. Can you imagine if every Christ follower was able to follow what I'd talked about this morning? there would be a whole lot of denying self. Can you imagine the impact the body of Christ would have if every Christ follower was united and of the same mind and the same judgment? We humans aren't very good at it. We mess it up pretty regularly. Sad thing. Within this family, I think personally that we do a great job. Could we do better? Yeah, we can always do better. But if we can't get along here, if you've got something that's dividing you and a brother or you and a sister, or making you stay apart from this group or that group, or you're holding a grudge about this or that, that's a sorry state to be in. We've got to be of the same mind and the same judgment. We read the first verse of a song in our books, we don't sing it, but called, All Rise. The writer says, There was a holy hush all over as I walked into the room, and as I stood before him face to face, I was gloriously made new. There was a great and awesome presence, and the light bright as the day. And as I bowed to kneel with angels, I heard the Spirit say, All Rise, All Rise, to stand before the throne. In the presence of the Holy One, all rise. All rise as we worship the Messiah. All rise. We can't stand shoulder to shoulder here. It's going to be mighty uncomfortable when the Spirit says, all rise. We've got to stand as one. We've got to do that here. We're going to sing a song, my hope is built on nothing less. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that my hope is not built on my correctness of doctrine, my understanding of disputable matters, the right calls of the shepherds, or anything else. It's built on His blood. If you need to respond, come, let's stand and sing.